a most ruthless and horrific enemy has surrounded the Grand Valley. And the residents wake up to thousands and thousands of tents littered across the desert. The enemy army has surrounded us. They have tanks rolling from the east and the west down on I-70. They have jets roaring overhead and enemies have taken over our airport. Imagine, they've taken up strategic positions on the top of the book cliffs with rocket launchers and snipers. The airwaves have been hijacked. The internet has been overthrown and all communication is now controlled by the enemy. Imagine the reports begin to trickle in from the rest of the country and we recognize that every major American city has been taken in the same way. Chicago annihilated, LA destroyed, Cincinnati wiped off the face of the planet. City after city, the reports come in. The torture and devastation is complete. Even women and children are not spared by this enemy. Soon, the enemy begins to put up a broadcast and he taunts us. He mocks us, especially our God. He says horrible, despicable, and deplorable things about God and the whole city hears it. Finally, the general of the enemy army calls a meeting. He demands to meet with the top three leaders of Mesa County. He says the time and the place and our leaders send representatives. And when they get there, it becomes very apparent that the enemy does not want negotiation. He wants annihilation. He wants to destroy us like every other city in America and wipe us off the face of the planet. Our three leaders come back and they're walking into the county building. They're sobbing. They're devastated. They're thinking of their, their families and their children and how are they going to survive this? The mayor asks for a report. He hears what the enemies have said and he falls on his face in despair. Well, this is extremely hard to imagine in our modern day. This is exactly what Jerusalem faced in the times of the Bible. They went to bed one night and they awoke to be surrounded by hundreds of thousands of Assyrian soldiers who were that era's most ruthless war machine. All of the major cities around them had already been annihilated and Hezekiah was God's appointed king over Israel and Jerusalem. And he heard the reports, he heard them mocking, and he faced an incredible choice. And I wanna jump into the story straight out of the biblical account in 2 Kings 19. It says, when Hezekiah heard their report of the three officials, he tore his clothes and put on burlap that's that scratchy brown stuff. It's a sign of mourning. And went to the temple of the Lord. He sent Ilikim, the palace administrator, Sibia, the court secretary, and the leading priests, all dressed in burlap, to the prophet, the son of Isaiah, Isaiah, the son of Amos, and said, 
This is what King Hezekiah says. Today is a day of trouble and insults and disgrace. But perhaps the Lord, your God, has heard. The Assyrian chief of staff sent by the king to defy the armies of the living God and will punish him for his words. Oh, pray for those who are left. So the king has heard all the threats of the enemy. He sends his three friends, his three advisors to talk to the enemy general and he learns he's not messing around. He will not be bought off. He is going to destroy the city. He has the means and the methods in position. So then he sends these same three advisors to the prophet, which is like the pastor of the city. He sends them to the prophet Isaiah and he says to Isaiah, you've you got to pray for us. Like, what's going to happen? Why? Why am I in this position? He's, he's crying out to help. He's like trying to talk about his problem to the best spiritual leader he's got. And I love this line. But perhaps the Lord your God has heard. And that's what I say to you tonight. Perhaps the Lord your God has heard. Perhaps the Lord your God has heard your prayers. Perhaps as you've laid in bed and worried and stressed about your future, perhaps the Lord your God has heard. Perhaps the Lord your God has heard what those girls have been saying at school and the way they've been so mean to you. Perhaps the Lord your God has heard. Perhaps the Lord your God has seen the financial pressure on your family. Perhaps the Lord your God has heard the cry of your heart over your loved one's health, over your deep and desperate need. Perhaps the Lord has heard. So Hezekiah is in a desperate situation. He does not have any logical earthly hope, but he has one heavenly hope. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord has heard. Perhaps he's heard the deep question of your heart. Perhaps he's heard the cry of your soul Asking, do I matter? Am I enough? Will this depression ever lift? Will my body ever be whole? Perhaps the Lord has heard. Have you ever been there? Ever been on the verge of desperation? Like, how am I going to get out of this situation? It never seems to change. Just after I graduated from college, I was living here in Grand Junction, and I lived in a little apartment close to the college campus, and I had to go to the laundromat because I was poor. And um, I'd bring my clothes every week or two on my day off, and I'd go to this laundromat. It was on the corner of Pat Patterson and 7th. It's where Trader's Coffee is right there now. And there used to be a laundromat back in the day. And I'd bring all my laundry, and I'd they had a um, stand-up Miss Pac machine, and so I'd get extra quarters so I could play that a lot. But then I'd do my laundry, and one particular day, I was standing at the laundry machine, or the washing machine, and a person came in, and I was putting my load in, doing my thing, and a person came in the door, and he began, it was like an older man, he began talking to the older lady who was like the owner of the laundromat. And I was kind of eavesdropping, because I'm at a laundromat, which is boring, and um, it became apparent that he was the concealed carry gun instructor at the shooting range and that she was in his class. 
And so she was taking a gun safety class from this man, and they were discussing a handgun. At that point, he actually took out a handgun, removed the clip, and put the clip on the counter. And so I'm kind of intrigued, because this is, you know, not normal. And so I'm like, okay, there's a gun, there's a clip, there's a whole bunch of conversation. He shows her the gun, she handles the gun. They're discussing if this would be a good weapon for this grandma who runs the laundromat to potentially own for her own personal safety as she's running the laundromat. And then they, their conversation kind of finishes up and I'm still like getting my laundry out and putting it into the dryer and getting the next thing out. And the guy takes the clip, puts it back in the gun, and walks out the door. As he walks out the door, the lady calls to him and asks another question about how the gun fires. And so he walks in. This is me at the laundromat, right? I'm right there. He's walking out the door straight in front of me. She calls to him. He answers the question, pulls his weapon, and says it fires just like this, which they had been dry firing the weapon with the bullets out before with the clip on the counter, and he shot me straight at the chest at point-blank range. I'm standing right here, and all I have time for in that moment is to yell the name of Jesus. So I just scream out, Jesus, and I fall to the ground. I'm wearing a hoodie. I'm confident that I've been shot. I'm confident I must be full of blood. I'm trying to get my hoodie off my head. All the other people in the laundromat come running because they saw me get shot as well. And so I'm laying on the ground. I'm pretty much in shock, trying to figure out what's going on. I get my hoodie off my head, which took like seven hours, and um, there's no blood, like anywhere. And everyone's just kind of standing there confused until the guy says, there's a wire running from this washing machine to the ceiling, the width of my pinky, and the bullet is lodged in the wire two feet from my chest, stopped dead by a copper wire. Perhaps the Lord your God has heard. Did I have time for just the right prayer in that moment? Could I pray a fancy prayer with all the right words and prove to God that I was a good person? No. But perhaps the Lord your God will hear your desperate prayer in a desperate moment when you need him and when you call to him, perhaps the Lord your God will hear and he will rescue you from what you're going through. And sometimes he does. But, but sometimes the way God hears is completely different. Like I remember the first day at my new school, I knew literally zero people in that entire school. Actually, Zero people in the entire state. I was a freshman in college, and I was watching everyone come home to their college and hugging each other and like laughing about the summer and laughing about inside jokes from last year on that floor in the dorms. And I remember listening to these other kids, other freshmen that were met each other at summer camp and knew each other, and then there was like me. And I remember feeling incredibly lonely. I would let go to bed at night, and I'd cry myself to sleep sometimes because I was just like, I know no one in this whole city of Minneapolis. I know no one in the state of Minnesota. I literally am completely alone, and I would just cry to Jesus. And I would just tell him how I felt. I'd tell him how lonely I was. But it came to a point on one particular day, it was like kind of my rock bottom 
of like feeling like a loser. <laughs> and um, I took my lunch out to the park that was right next to the school and I was eating lunch by myself under a tree because I didn't have any friends at all. And I like just laid it out to the Lord. I was like, okay, you told me to come to this college. I know nobody. Nobody is nice to me. I know nobody. I'm so lonely. I know no. How is this? I need a friend. Like, just, I don't have to be popular, but if I could just have one friend, if I could just have somebody to talk to, somebody. And so I laid it all out. And you know what? Sometimes we like to act like Jesus, if he's going to hear our prayers, then poof, a friend would have appeared right there in the park by myself under the tree, and we would have skipped into the sunset holding hands for the rest of our lives. But that's not what happens. That's not what happened. Instead, I dried my tears and wiped my ugly cry on the inside of my t-shirt because I didn't have any Kleenex and went back to class and was lonely still. And weeks passed and a couple months passed and one day I found myself eating in the cafeteria at a table full of girls and we were laughing so hard that Jolene snorted milk out of her nose and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and whisper from within, see, you have friends. Perhaps the Lord your God has heard. There's different ways that he hears us, different ways that he answers us, but the truth is, perhaps the Lord your God has heard. And when you feel surrounded by pressure, and you feel surrounded by an enemy like Hezekiah was in that moment, you have to know that when you pray that the Lord your God has heard you, that he hears you when you pray. Perhaps the Lord has heard. Isaiah 59 says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. Isaiah later says, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking to me about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayer. Perhaps the Lord your God has heard. Picking up our story about Hezekiah, chapter 19 of 2 Kings, it says, after Hezekiah's officials delivered the king's message to Isaiah, the prophet replied, say to your master, this is what the Lord says, do not be disturbed by the blasphemous speech against me from, Hezekiah, from Assyria's king's messengers. Listen, I myself will move against him, and the king will receive a message that he is needed at home. So he will return to his homeland where I will kill him with the sword. Okay? So picture this, right? Jerusalem is surrounded by an enemy nation, hundreds of thousands of soldiers that have said, we are going to penetrate these walls and we are going to kill every living thing. And now the, the pastor, Isaiah, says, no, God's going to get him a message and he's going to leave and no one in this city will perish. It's pretty unbelievable. Perhaps the Lord has heard, but this is what's going to happen. God's going to come through, and there's going to be a miracle. And God promises that he heard Hezekiah, and that he's going to act, and he's going to make a plan, and that the city of Jerusalem and his people are going to be set free. But sometimes, right before God answers your prayer, instead of it getting better, it gets a little bit worse. That's sometimes what happens. Because the devil knows, the enemy knows that you're about to get your answer. You're about to get your miracle. And so a lot of times things get a little bit worse. So Hezekiah receives this message from his pastor, the prophet Isaiah, says that God's going to rescue you. And at the same time, he gets some mail 
And the mail is a, is a letter from his ar- the army's general that's encamped around his city. And the letter goes on to specifically detail word by word by word what this general intends to do to the army, to, to the city, the women, the children, the entire city. It's the detailed plan of how he's going to destroy them. So on one hand, Hezekiah hears, the prophet says, God's going to rescue you. And in the same breath, he hears from the enemy, it's actually going to be way worse than you thought. And that's what happens. The enemy always tries to whisper a threat. Sometimes right before God gives you that breakthrough, the enemy will taunt you just one more time. Right before you're going to get a breakthrough, you'll hear something like, you're never going to find a good boyfriend. Just date that one guy, the one guy that asked you out. You're never going to get good grades, so just stop trying. They'll ta- he'll taunt. You're never going to start hearing God's voice, so just sit there. Don't even, don't even try to press in. You're never going to feel right or think right, so just, just, just stop. And right before God sends the breakthrough that you and I often need the most, the enemy comes with the worst possible message. And so King Hezekiah is in the middle. He's got his pastor, the prophet Isaiah, saying, God's going to rescue you. Hang on. But the rescue hasn't happened yet. The army's still there. And the army says, we're coming to kill you and your cat and your gerbil and all your people and everything you love. And we're going to burn your house down and it's going to get really bad. So this is the message, 2 Kings 19. This is the message, King Hezekiah, for King Hezekiah of Judah. So this is the enemy's general talking to Hezekiah. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with the promise that Jerusalem will not be captured by Assyria. You know perfectly well that the king of Assyria has done to everywhere they have gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? That's what the enemy says. Why should you be any different? And I want us to consider that question. Why should you be any different? Because you are different. You should be different because you are different. So when the enemy throws a threat in your face and he taunts you and says, why should you be any different? You should be different because you are a daughter of God. Because you're not an orphan. Because you have a father in heaven that will fight for you to the death Literally, he will fight for you to hell and back and conquer death, hell, and the grave. Why should you be any different when there's a threat? Because God has not abandoned you and he will not fail to help you. And perhaps the Lord your God has heard you and he's about to rescue you. So Assyria, they don't get that. They don't understand that. So they're like, why should you be any different? But when the enemy comes against us, we have to be able to explain why We are different. Why we are different. If you have a God who is willing to die in your place, could there possibly be something you need that would be too expensive for him to give you? No. He already gave his own self. He already gave his own son for you. So there's nothing too expensive. So why should you be any different? Because you are different. Because you are marked by the Holy Spirit of God. His Holy Spirit is in you, and your life shouts that to the world. 
You receive the Holy Spirit of God. He's living inside of you. So why should you be any different? Because God lives within you. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, it says, the truth is the good news. When you heard the truth and you put your trust in Christ, God marked you by giving you his Holy Spirit as a promise. And later it says, we are stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit as owned and protected by God. We are marked. We are stamped. Now, you can't see a mark on my face. I don't have a special God tattoo on my body that you can see. But there is one that the enemy can see. There is one that all spiritual forces can see. We are marked. We are sealed. We are differentiated by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so when the enemy tries to come against us, they go, they look at us and they recognize instantly that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That whatever fight we're about to get into, we're not going to be alone because God is with us. That God claims us, owns us, and chooses us. And friends, you, you are marked and owned as protected by God. And when the enemy accuses you saying, why should you be any different? You can cling to this truth because you are difference because you are his and so when life gets in your face and when the pressures make you think you're not enough and when you feel like everything is crushing in on you you can say wait a second I am different I'm marked by the Holy Spirit and you can say I'm going to tell dad right Where's, hey, uh, Benai Judah, Azzy, come here really quick. So I know you guys are not yet parents, obviously, so you don't fully understand yet what I'm about to say. I think you kind of can. Okay, so these are my, these are my three sons. And I'll tell you right now, if somebody, oh, they're pretty cool. Okay, if somebody some stranger tried to hurt them, I would kill that person with my bare hands, right? If somebody was like, some stranger came and said, I would like to cause one ounce of pain to my child, they do not know hell, does not know the fury that would come upon them if someone decided that was their deliberate intention to hurt my sons. And that's that's the heart of a mother, right? I would spend all of my money, all of my health, all of my strength, all of my everything to make sure that no one harms my children, right? So if the enemy wants to do that, they're going to have to come through me to get to them. And I ain't going down easy, right? Now... I, I, I have limited resources. I will die in this fight, but I have limited resources. But, but God, your father, does not have a limit in his resources, right? So if these guys get in trouble and some stranger comes and is weird and wants to hurt them, what are they going to do? They're going to tell me, and then that person is going to suffer, right? The stranger is going down, right? 
But at some point, if like it was John Cena or something, like I might not win the fight, right? But, but if you as a son or a daughter of God and some enemy is coming against you, what do you do? You go to your dad who has all power, all authority, all everything, and you say, I'm telling dad. You say, I'm telling dad. Now, at some point, my mom's strength is going to fail. It will be fierce, but my mom's strength is going to fail. But our God's strength is never going to fail. And so when you are standing between that rock and the hard place, and you're facing that devastation, and you're wondering, has God heard me? You have a responsibility to tattle to your heavenly father. And to lay it out, to lay out the situation and say, wait a second, this is what's happening. So the enemy says, why are you any different? You're different because you have a God of unlimited resources that will defeat death, hell, and the grave just to come to your rescue. That's the first time. And he'll do it again and again if he needs to. And there's nothing, no force of hell can stop it. Romans 8 says, what can separate you from the love of God? Can life, can death, can heaven, can hell? No, nothing on earth or under the earth can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. So when we face these things, what do we do? We tell dad. We come to him and say, this is what is happening. So, 2 Kings 19. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers of Assyria and read it, he went to the Lord's temple and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed a prayer before the Lord. What did Hezekiah do? Told his dad, right? So he gets to the temple. He's got the letter. He's got all the threats, right? He's got everything that the enemy's saying. He gets there. And he's at the altar, okay? We call it a stage. In the olden days, they called it the altar, but it's a place where we meet with God. That's why when we come forward for worship, instead of staying back there, we, we come to the altar. It's a, it's a thing. Um, it's very powerful. You should try it. So Hezekiah goes to the temple, and he comes to the altar. And when he gets to the altar, he starts, like, laying it out. He's like, well, Dad, the king of Assyria says he's going to burn down this city. He says he's actually going to destroy us all. He's going to murder everyone here. He just starts laying it out. He's like, God, do you, see, do you see this, Dad? Do you see what he is doing? Do you see his threats? Because he's got, he's got thousands of soldiers encamped around my city, and the prophet said, you're going to come rescue me. But he said, do you see what he says? He says, why am I any different? right? He says, and he shows God the threats. And guys, this is something you have to learn to do as a Christ follower. You have to grab hold of your place of privilege, that you are a son or a daughter of God. My kids do not hesitate to ask me for things. I believe they have asked me for like 97 pieces of candy today. Today alone, they, I don't know if they ever stop and think, I probably shouldn't ask mom for another piece. That would be a ridiculous request. They just go, well, I'm just going to ask. Can I have more candy? They, so when, when, when you're a son 
or your daughter and you're fully loved, you don't hesitate to ask. And so you have to recognize that you are in this place of privilege, not with an earthly parent, per se, also maybe, but, but that you're in this place of privilege with a heavenly father who owns all power and authority, who lacks no thing that you need, who's already said, I will die and go to hell and get the keys to hell and come back for you. I, I like, am preparing a place for you. I'm empowering him. I'm doing all this stuff for you. Do you think he's going to go, well, I can help with all that. But man, if, if you tell me that you're in seventh grade and you're lonely, well, that's a head scratcher now. I don't know if I can help. I, right? But, but you have to tell dad. You have to take the thing and say, dad, I don't know who I am. I don't know what to do with the friend drama. You have to get to the altar. And you don't have to have a two-foot rectangle in your room. An altar becomes any place you meet with God. It can be in your car. It can be on the floor in your bedroom. It can be in your beanbag in the living room. It can be outside under a tree. But you get yourself to an altar somehow, and you tell Dad what, whatever it is. You're, okay, my family life is messed up right now. It's so stressful. We prayed today to get our prayer language, and I got a word, I think, but also it could have just been a burp. I'm not super sure. And also, people are being mean to we have to learn how to find the altar because the altar is where we lay it out before God. The altar is where we say, this is, this is, dad, do you see these people? They are being jerks to me, your son. And then God, perhaps the Lord your God has heard and he has a rescue plan in action. But if you don't, if you don't tell them, if you don't tell him, you don't lay it out, then you're not tapping into the fact that you are different. Why are you so different? Why do you think you're so different? I know why you are different, but if you let yourself think, well, I'm not that different, God's not gonna hear me. He's got like a universe to run. He's gonna listen to spiritual people like Joe. He's gonna listen to me. No, you're different, you have, but you have to get to the altar. You have to find that spot and you have to lay out the hurt or the question or the thing. And you have to tell your dad. And you have to learn to sit in that spot and listen for the answer. And when God gives you the answer, how are you gonna hear it? No, you can hear it from within, right? You can hear it from where the Holy Spirit dwells within you is gonna begin to speak to you. It's going to begin to tell you. It's going to begin to well up, and you're going to recognize. And the biggest difference between young people who come to faith in Christ and in a couple of years, God isn't important to them. They fall away. And those who stay solid for a lifetime is their ability that they're, they, they worked to stir up how to hear God speak to them. And that all takes place at the altar. And you make your altar wherever you go, where you talk to God and you tell him. So that's what we're going to do for a second. I want you to find some space in the room away from people, away for a minute. And maybe this weekend you have like a little 
unfinished business. We brought up a lot of stuff this weekend, right? We talked about a lot of different things. You wanna be at least a couple feet away from somebody. You don't wanna be too close. You don't wanna be by someone that is gonna distract you for good or bad. So from, we had service, 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 and each time we challenged you, we asked you big questions, and you prayed about some stuff, but it's hard to get it all done sometimes. And so there might be some stuff that you need to, you need to lay before your dad, you need to tell your dad about. Maybe there's a hurt that you need to tell dad about and ask him to heal it in your life. Explain to him what happened. Maybe you need, maybe you need to finish a conversation with your dad about the stuff that you need to leave behind, like Pastor Kim talked about. Maybe you need to talk to him about the fact that you started off lukewarm, but now you're not, but now you're going home, and Dad, how am I going to stay on fire when I get there, like Joe and Sean talked about? Maybe you need to hear a little bit more of your I am statements. Like we talked about last night with Malin and Will, you need to hear God say who you really are and your identity, but there's a, there's a skill and it's, it's a little awkward at first, and it's this spot. Why are you any different? Because you're his son or his daughter, and your daddy can fix it, but you gotta talk to him. And you gotta talk to him for real. You gotta talk to him like, plead your case, lay it out and explain it. And at first that can be a little awkward, but you gotta press in. And so we're gonna create space to do that. And right now we're gonna get a little bit quiet and you fill that space. You fill that quiet by talking to your dad. Tattle to him about what's wrong, what's broken. Finish the conversation that you didn't finish earlier. Press into it. Don't just sit there. Talk to him. What do you need to tell him? You know how sometimes in life you, I don't know what your relationships are like with your brothers and sisters, but I picture it this way. Say you gotta go tell dad something big and you're not sure how to explain it. In that case, it'd be really cool to have a good big brother come with you and help you explain to your dad what you've got going on. Does that make sense? And so what I want us to do now, we're just talking to Jesus. We're just telling dad what's going on in our life. But some of you might go, I need like a brother or sister. I need one of the adults in the room to like help me explain to dad what's going on. And so the adults are gonna line up kind of around the sides, the back, kind of wherever they can. And I want you to, if you need help talking to your dad, explaining to him what's going on or finishing some business from an altar call sometime this week, go to him. Maybe you want to keep pressing in and find out how to hear God's voice and you want someone to pray with you about it, go find your room leader, go find a pastor that's standing in position waiting to pray with you. Maybe maybe you, you want to talk about the I am statements and the things that God's been speaking to you. Go find somebody, explain it to your sister, your big sister, and help let them process it and let them think it through with you help you understand what God's trying to do in your life. Maybe you know 
that you've had this huge sin pattern, like you keep going back to the exact same problem and when you get home tomorrow, it's gonna be right there. Talk to your brother about it and see if he can't help you make a plan of how you're gonna overcome. But if you need, if you need someone to help you pray, go find a leader to help you pray. They're like your brother going to dad together, your sister going to dad together. I know there's some of you that have some unfinished business from a different service this week, and I want you to make sure you finish it before the night ends. So camp is almost over, but it's not over yet. And so before it ends, I feel like that there is someone that this whole time yet, maybe more than one, but someone this whole time yet, that you haven't tried Jesus at all. You just sat with your heart hard and your arms crossed. You thought maybe you weren't worthy. Maybe somebody forced you to come and you weren't so sure. And to you, I wanna say Jesus loves you just as much, just as much as every other person in this room. He died on the cross for you just as much as every other person in this room. And he does not want camp to end without you coming home to him. And that might be really, really hard. Might be hard to admit like, oh man, I know I haven't connected my heart. I haven't asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I know I've resisted him all weekend long. Well, you do not have to resist him anymore and it's not too late. And so if you know that you need that, you need to do that, now's your moment. And this is what you would do. You would say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry, I've been resisting you, forgive me, I choose you. You're the Lord and leader of my life from this moment forward, amen. And then you have to go one step bigger and you gotta tell the person, that's your room leader, you gotta tell one of the pastors, you gotta say, that was me. I was resisting, but just so you know, at the very last second, very, very last second, I came home to God and I asked Jesus into my heart. But don't waste, don't waste it. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.